Hello and welcome to the Dream Swarm podcast. This is your home for supernatural film, stories and art. I'm your host, magic realist filmmaker Andy Mark Simpson. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode of the Dream Swarm podcast. Now you will have noticed that every now and again we concentrate on a particular folkloric character. So you may remember at Christmas we had an episode dedicated to the Krampus figure. Recently we celebrated springtime with the Jack in the Green figure and traditions that take place for the May Day bank holiday. But now we've got another springtime folkloric figure which is Robin Hood. So I'm really pleased to be joined by Thaddeus Papke who is the host of the Into the Green Wood podcast who's going to tell us all about Robin Hood. So Thaddeus, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Would you be able to introduce us to Into the Greenwood and tell us what the podcast is about? Yeah, so the podcast put very, very simply is about Robin Hood and it's taking that figure who almost everybody knows. It's one of the most well-known figures in all the world, really, especially the Western world and when it comes to Western entertainment, literature, books, films, etc. Almost everybody will have some sort of association with Robin Hood. They'll have some concept of who he is, what he's about, what his story is, where he lives. And it's just taking that thing that somebody already knows and then just kind of blowing it up, expanding from there saying, all right, well, we've got this concept that maybe Robin Hood lived during the time of King Richard. So let's look at the reign of King Richard. Would it have made sense for somebody to have actually been able to live in Sherwood Forest and operate as a bandit during that time? What would their life have actually been like? What, what was Sherwood Forest like? You know, we see it depicted in movies, but that could be filmed anywhere. They're not actually going back in time and filming anything in Sherwood Forest. So let's talk to people who work in Sherwood Forest. Let's talk to archaeologists. Let's talk to historians. Let's talk about what it actually means to fire a longbow. You know, just finding any sort of particular element of these stories and engaging in informal learning, informal education surrounding those ideas. That's one of the things I do in my my day job. I, I work in a museum. So I'm always really looking for ways to interact with people, find ways to meet them where they already have a point of engagement, and then seeing if we can build off of that. And in the meantime, also just share some really fun stories about this character, delve into how he's portrayed in popular culture and how those portrayals have changed over time and kind of look a little bit back at ourselves and see what those stories tell us about ourselves as we've changed and adapted them in so many different ways. It is quite a broad scope that comes from that thing. From quite a specific figure, you expand outwards, as you say, into various realms of history. You've also expanded into nature and what wildlife is in Sherwood Forest and what particular trees are there and also movies and games and kind of other depictions of Robin Hood. It's quite a broad scope there. Can we get to grips with the figure of Robin Hood then? Let's throw a question out there. Is he real or not real? What What's the answer on that one? That's really the big infamous question. The one that everybody wants to know right off the bat. The one that you can find dozens of, of articles about online and documentaries about. And the reason why 
why all these articles will keep coming up and documentaries and scholarly articles even will keep getting made is because there isn't a satisfactory answer to that question. You cannot really just say yes or no. For the purpose of the podcast, we mostly just kind of go with the prospect of no Robin Hood wasn't real. At least the figure as we understand him through even the medieval balance, much less our modern day movies. No, that figure did not exist. There was no historical figure that we could point to that really is that character, whether we're talking about the 15th century manuscripts or Errol Flynn or Kevin Costner or how he appears in Ivanhoe, just none of that is based on reality. However, and this is where it just starts to get unsatisfying, there could have been somebody who was named Robin Hood or Robert Hode or Robin Hod or, you know, some variation of that name. And we know that in the 13th century, that by the year 1262, clerks, legal clerks in England would sometimes give the nickname Robin Hood or Rob Hood or some variation of that to criminals and fugitives. So there was something in the popular consciousness at that time that would associate Robin Hood as a name for an outlaw. But whether that was from some original outlaw figure or something entirely fabricated, some popular song or poem that had been around at that time that just doesn't survive now, we have no idea. And people find that immensely unsatisfying. <laughs> so there are mentions of the name or a variation of the name Robin Hood from the 13th century at some point in history. But as you say, it's hard to attribute that to a certain character and certainly definitely not one that would be recognisable in the movies that we see. Where did this character come from then? The, the Robin Hood that's evolved into the Robin Hood we all know. What, what were the beginnings of these? Was it ballads that they were written in? What was the start of this character? So the start of the character as we have him now comes really from uh, the 15th century. About mid-15th century, there's a collection of ballads that were written down. They all seem to be coming from earlier oral traditions. There's the Jest of Robin Hood, which is kind of the most well-known, lengthy story of Robin Hood. But there's also others. Robin Hood and the Monk, Robin Hood and the Potter, Robin Hood and Guy of Gisborne. Those ones are tend to be shorter stories, and they're interesting in that they're very different. Some of them are very adventure, action-oriented, where there's death and mayhem and swordplay, and others, like Robin Hood and the Potter, almost have a, a structure similar to a trickster tale. So the Robin Hood that we have coming down to us today is that kind of combination of merry trickster and action hero. And I think our modern interpretations tend to reflect that. The figure was popular enough that people continued to write about him and explore him as a character. He got adopted into Mayday games in some form or other, which I suspect had a lot to do with the relatability that the character had. People could really see themselves in the role of this, this figure who had a reputation, even from the early stories of maybe not robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, but still being a champion of the people, or at least somebody who is willing to stick it to the man, willing to fight against the, the sheriff, willing to rob corrupt church officials, things like that, and being able to live a little bit in a, a freer sense, people like that. And so he got incorporated into games, he got incorporated into plays. 
and historians like John Majors by the early 1500s were trying to like place him in the annals of British history. He's the one that really first gave us the idea of Robin Hood having existed during the time of Prince John and King Richard I. And by the time of the Elizabethans, we were getting playwrights like Anthony Munday, who were giving us plays like The Fall of Robert, Earl of Huntington. And that's when we see a real shift with the character, too, that continues to influence our modern versions, because that's when he goes from being the kind of peasant folk hero to the nobleman hero, the one who the gentry could also latch on to, not just the common folk, but the one that the people actually had money would be willing to create plays of and go see the idea that Robin Hood is a fallen nobleman of some sort. And that's the same idea that we saw in the most recent film adaptation, the one of Taron Edgerton. You know, they leaned into that. The Kevin Costner one leaned into that. And that is not the only way the character is portrayed in the 20th and 21st century, but it is a way that has has stuck around because it has an easier access point for people and makes for really simple and convenient storytelling instead of just being able to have Robin Hood who already exists as a figure in Sherwood Forest as an outlaw. This way, a movie maker gets to tell the story of Robin Hood that includes an origin without needing to worry about anything complicated other than Robin Hood is unjustly treated by the other nobility. He comes back from the Crusades, he finds his land's been stolen, something like that. It just kind of creates an easy story point, and that's where our kind of modern Robin Hood tends to live, but that was based very much out of those plays. Yeah, I can see that. That's a good description there, that sense of injustice, and that that is a, a hook for telling that story. Introduce a character where he was being treated unjustly in some way, and that kind of gets the audience on side there and especially an audience who going back you if it was a more wealthy audience and looking for their into to this character than those kind of patrons of Elizabethan theatre that would make sense that they'd kind of get him along for that what is the enduring appeal of Robin Hood then it's a character that's been around for a while and and as you say has been modified and, and morphed but also there are elements from 500 years ago those plays that are still in the depictions today so what is the appeal of this character yeah it's something I, I've certainly wondered about myself. One of the, the guests on my podcast, a historian and scholar named Will Hoff, who studies outlaw tales. I asked him about that because we were discussing all of these various other outlaw tales that were also very popular in the Middle Ages around the same time as Robin Hood. And they're also these really amazing, fun adventure stories and something he latched onto that I hadn't really thought of before. And I think there's a lot of sense to what he said, is that Robin Hood was a more episodic kind of character. There wasn't a single story of Robin Hood. The fact that we can't point to him as a verifiable historical figure, I think works to his benefit in terms of that enduring appeal. Because other outlaw tale characters from that time, we don't remember so well. You don't see a lot of movies about Fulk Fitzwarren or Eustace the Monk. But those are also verifiable historical characters. If you make a movie about them, somebody's going to point to them and say, oh, you're telling that story wrong. This was a real person. This is what we know about them. But with Robin Hood, he wasn't. He can live in his own sort of story world, and he can live in our imaginations however we want him to. And I think that's the enduring appeal, that there is a sort of historical connection that we can choose to draw off of however we want, but because he exists in that 
more nebulous realm of legend, we then have a freedom to interpret the character however we want and tell whatever sort of story with him that we want. Yeah, that nebulous idea, something came to me there about maybe links to folkloric, supernatural kind of elements. I know there's been certain people have drawn some links and others have dismissed these, but with Puck, the fairy figure, and with kind of Robin Goodfellow is a name for like kind of English hobgoblin fairies and seeing like a similarity in some of their names. Is that a common feature in some of the ballads or is it just kind of lesser known link that people might make? It's more on the lesser known side. Most of the ballads are pretty well grounded in terms of who the character is and the sort of actions he's engaging in. It's much more straightforward. We're poaching of deer. We're helping some young lovers get married, you know, stealing the bride away from the old man who she was being forced to marry. It's tricking the sheriff of Nottingham and embarrassing him. It's escaping from the king or escaping from the sheriff. They tend to be much more grounded and have a sort of realism to them. However, especially when the Victorians were kind of getting their hands on some of the Robin Hood stories, you would see more and more elements creeping in that it would at least hint at a fantastical element. I think there's a, an early ballad where Robin Hood, his mother, when she's pregnant with him, like steals away to the to the Greenwood, to the forest, and gives birth to him amongst the lily flowers. There's one about a witch who changes shape, but those tend to be on the rarer side. They're they're ones that like can be cherry picked out of the collections, but they weren't being commonly told. Certainly not as we have an understanding coming down to us. However, I do think the strongest place that somebody can see that link to Robin Hood having a real kind of magical world connection is in the Mayday games and how he got associated with the green man and the sort of Jack and the green figure. And there, there's a lot of sense that this is where Maid Marian comes into the legends also, that she's the figure representing the May Queen and he's the figure representing the May King. And people like to draw pagan connections. Sometimes, especially in our modern day, those pagan connections get a little overblown, but they're also not entirely based off of nothing either. Just some of that imagery and that idea of being connected to the Greenwood and being a figure that represents that does naturally lend itself to connections with the fairies that live in wild places. And there are more subtle connections that one can draw. I think I... I something I brought up in my discussion with Richard Firth Green, a medieval historian, is how in so many fairy stories, there's tales of people who go off into the woods and they will then run afoul of the fairies. And one of the best ways to come out of your encounter with the fairies in good shape is to simply be honest. If you're an honest person who treats the fairies hospitably, then they might even reward you. And that same trope occurs in those medieval ballads with Robin Hood. He will waylay people in the forest, but if they're honest with him, if they're down on their luck, he might help them. So while there is nothing overtly supernatural at all happening in those stories, he is serving the same sort of story function that a fairy would, even if it's not with pixie dust. Not a 
such a strong or obvious connection, but you've drawn parallels there with some of the story structures and linked with fairy tales, but also the kind of fertility imagery of the, the May Day games. And you, you mentioned that that's where Maid Marian came into it. Could we talk a little bit about some of these other figures, Maid Marian in particular? I know there's a great article by Steve Evans, which I read, which traces the history of Maid Marian, saying Maid Marian's always a reflection of the culture at the time when stories are written about Marian. You can tell a lot about the, the treatment of women in that culture by how Marion is represented. Yeah. Is that something you've noticed as well? Oh, absolutely. Very, very strongly. In the 1800s, we have a novel by Thomas Love Peacock, Maid Marion, really a novella. It's pretty short. And in that book, she is quite adventurous. She's bold. She gets into sword fights. She shoots somebody with a bow. She speaks her own mind. She stands up to her father. And that really shows the sort of cultural values that were around in 1820 when that was written as juxtaposed to the later cultural values of the late 1800s when you had that kind of more Victorian mindset of women being more more proper and that idea of women women swoon easily. That concept wasn't around as much earlier in that same century. But by the time you're seeing these stories with Maid Marian in the late 1800s and then again in the early 1900s, she has become more of the damsel figure. She's not the bold adventurer anymore. And then this gets further cemented in the films, the idea of Maid Marian as a noblewoman who Robin Hood comes and rescues is very much borne out by the Douglas Fairbanks movie. And you know, I don't think it would be fair to refer to a lot of the, the characters and portrayals of Maid Marian as helpless damsel. She is a character who often has a lot of agency, gets into trouble because she'll be spying on Prince John or something. But she is definitely presented as a noblewoman who looks pretty, wears pretty clothes, and at the end of the movie might get tossed in a dungeon somewhere. And then by the 1980s is when you're really starting to see a lot of pushback against that. We're going to have Maid Marian and the Robin of Sherwood British television series be joining the outlaws out in the forest. You have kind of an, an intermediary phase with the Kevin Costner film where we want the Maid Marian to seem a little bit tough and she fights Robin at the beginning when they first meet. But then by the end, she's been also sort of reduced to a damsel status. And then by the time you get the more modern films of the 21st century and television shows, and you have very active Marians, you know, like we're, we're at that stage where we're like, no, no, it's taboo to, to have your female leads be too much the helpless damsel. So, so we've gotten away from that almost entirely. So yeah, I think it's a really fair and accurate comment. I was going to ask actually, are the early ballads and things, are they centered around Nottinghamshire and the East Midlands and, and South Yorkshire area? Because it seems like a, a very particular, he's a, a famous English folk hero, but it is very concentrated in a wider area than people think, but in the East Midlands and South Yorkshire. Can we trace the writings about that to those locations as well? I've not heard any Anything about the writings, especially being traced to a particular location, that's a, a really good question. It'd be one worth looking into a little bit more. I'm sure, sure there is some scholarship about it. The idea of the Sheriff of Nottingham comes in right away. So yeah, there, there is that connection that gets made with Sherwood and with Nottingham almost immediately. Barnsdale gets mentioned as well early on. So there is that idea also of, of him being more in the north and 
And there's, you know, some some people in, in Yorkshire who like to claim Robin Hood for their own. And I've been finding that because there is that reference to Barnsdale in some of the early ballads, a lot of modern writers are picking up on that. And more and more, I'm seeing modern authors, maybe will still use Sherwood, but will also use Barnsdale. They're really trying to make him feel a little bit larger and bring him back into his roots that way. Speaking of Barnsdale, though, there was earlier we were mentioning the legal documents in which the name Robin Hood was being used for criminals. A phrase that has come up in legal documents as well is Robin Hood in Barnsdale stood. And it was just an idiomatic phrase that means, oh, this is self-evident. This is obvious. Like, is the Pope Catholic? Robin Hood in Barnsdale stood. And that's a phrase that predates our written records of the ballads, the, the existing medieval ballads. We have evidence of that phrase being used even earlier. So there is that that connection in Barnsdale, at the very least, in addition to Sherwood and Nottingham. Because I know the airport in Doncaster and South Yorkshire is called Robin Hood Airport. So they've kind of claimed that and there's a big fuss between Yorkshire and Nottinghamshire yeah. at the time, as, as there is about everything. It's just interesting because I was thinking of it today, and I mean, it's quintessentially English folk hero and, and really appeals. I know it's spread around the world and it's popular everywhere. It's kind of what you'd imagine is an English folk hero. But I also think it's probably more prominent in the east of England, so where Nottinghamshire is and, and geographically that side of the Pennines, whereas west of the Pennine Hills, you get more references to King Arthur as the great mythical figure. Other areas of England, Cumbria, Somerset, and then as you go into Cornwall and Wales, it's all... Yeah. King Arthur and you know it's a different kind of culture that's feeding that and then in Scotland William Wallace would be their equivalent as well who's a historical figure and that's who their national anthem's based on as many of those believe that William Wallace was the inspiration for Robin Hood stories many of them will tell you that timeline doesn't quite work out for them in, in that regard but if you you know look at some of the Wallace tourism in in Scotland that that's some of the things that they talk about you know there's been Hollywood movies about William Wallace as well as King Arthur and Robin Hood so it, yeah it's quite a powerful powerful figure but I think there are some rivals for that kind of who's the king of British folklore heroes there. Here in the United States it's King Arthur and Robin Hood and we don't know or care about anything else. So we've talked about a few different movie versions there and I know on your podcast you have split and arrows you call it where you dissect some of the movies and, and do reviews and criticism but also you know bringing in your own your studies within that as well and how it represents things. Do you have a favorite Robin Hood interpretation on the big screen or the little screen? Yeah, I, I do. So really my my fondness for Robin Hood, why I've had an enjoyment of the character since I was young, really is born from the 1938 Adventures of Robin Hood film starring Errol Flynn as Robin Hood, Basil Rathbone as Guy of Gisborne, and Claude Rains as Prince John, directed by Michael Curtiz. So I have a, a deep nostalgic love for this movie. It's one of those films that I, I wore out my VHS tape of as a kid. But I, I do think it's a film that holds up today. I, I really enjoy it still. It's impossible for me to divorce myself from my, my childhood recollections. But I'm also somebody who is more willing to engage with what you might call sincere campiness than others are. I'm not drawn to things that feel like they need to present themselves as gritty. I'm willing to take a very bold, brash, colorful hero as long as it's being presented in a very forthright manner, which I think is, is the case of that movie. I'm going, to, I'm going to be fine with it. I'm going to enjoy it. That is a good description of that movie. I watched it again a few weeks ago. I haven't seen it in a long time, actually. But yeah, it's got that 
ever so slightly over the top kind of merriment to it and some great imagery him kind of coming kicking the doors down when he's got the deer on his back i'm trying to think maybe that's one the first i presume the first robin hood one i saw would be the disney one i would have been a little kid i imagine watching that and i know my grandma had the errol flynn one on vhs and i used to live with my grandma next to some wood so we me and my little brother would watch that film and then go off in the woods pretend we were robin hood so yeah I guess that was probably, other than the Disney one, the first one I saw, and it would be just a year or two before the Kevin Costner one came out. So that's kind of what drew me to the character. Let me ask you, do you have any favourite versions of Robin Hood, any favourite movies or adaptations? I do like the, the Kevin Costner one is a good kind of adventure story. It's got a really good villain as well that is entertaining but feels like a villain, and I thought that's what was missing from the Russell Crowe, Ridley Scott one, was it never got started really like lots of detail and it felt historically accurate made marion was cool in it so was russell crowe was great as robin hood accent was a bit up and down but you know attempted the east midlands accent which is quite cool but i felt it like the, the prince john was on his side to begin with wasn't he and then it, it kind of felt like a two hour long opening act for a, another movie that hadn't started yet i felt like so if you felt the same so i'm i'm really looking forward to getting to that movie with my splitting arrow series so the Splitting Arrows series. We're going through every Robin Hood movie I can possibly find, and we're doing it chronologically. We started with the Douglas Fairbanks film that came out in 1922, so it turns 100 years old this year, and we're only halfway through the 50s right now. So it's going to be a while until I get to Russell Crowe, but I'm looking forward to it because I know I've seen this movie, but I remember nothing about it. Same here. <laughs> like, you know, you can remember Alan Rickman in Prince of Thieves. You cannot yes. remember. I don't even know who played Prince John. I couldn't even picture it. Yeah, so that wasn't so memorable. What a one to watch again which i haven't seen for years is it who is it patrick bergman was it that also yeah. came out in 1991 mm-hmm. so slightly overshadowed by prince of thieves but that one i thought was quite cool i remember like it saying him being called robin of the hood or something and he had a hood mm-hmm. and I, I remember that line kind of sticking in my mind of that's how he got named and and it seemed to have a few kind of more i can imagine that dry ice and smoke machines from what i remember like it's lots of that kind of mystical foresty things i'd like to look at that bit deeper i liked the disney one when i was a kid and it's got a couple of catchy songs yeah it's hard to say really i never got into the 2006 tv series 2006 bbc robin hood series three series i've got very mixed feelings about that show ultimately i've come down on the side of its heart is in the right place and the characters are pretty good i can certainly enjoy it i can't be mad at it because i do think it's it's trying to tell a good story but man does it it go over the top sometimes in ways that don't quite work i saw a few episodes of that and i never got into it i used to when i was a little kid like made marion and her merry men which is another bbc children's tv series tony robinson in which is a comedy children's comedy show very goofy over the top yeah so it's something you know very different but it was quite entertaining i only recently in the last couple of years started watching and i watched the whole series of them of robin of sherwood the 1980s ones and i enjoyed those they seem to bring in uh, certain moments from history and so it's in other outlaws as well like adam bell the cumbrian outlaw yeah, yeah. Is in 
one episode. You also have like Hearn the Hunter, who is a famous ghostly figure from Berkshire folklore and is well known in, in the south of England as like this ghostly hunter figure. So it had this kind of supernatural element to it as well, which I thought was really interesting. So maybe that's winning at the moment, but I guess it depends what mood you're in really, which one takes your fancy. But yeah, the Evel Flynn one, I have got fond memories of that one as well. You know, I watched a, a video just recently that was one of those kind of industry professionals react kind of YouTube clips. And this was some professional stuntmen reacting to some of the stunts from the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movie. And they were incredibly impressed. They had only really good things to say about the stunts that they were pulling off in that movie in the 1930s. It's got some good action sequences, hasn't it? And it's, remember, I think Much jumps off a, a tree, doesn't he? And they have a fight in the water and he, he is a dick and awesome when he fights. And yeah, there's, there's some really good things. But some of the forest, looking back, you can tell it's <laughs> Californian redwoods. Yeah, when I was a kid and watching that movie on repeat, basically, I was living in Southern California, which is where the film was made. So while they, they tried to spruce it up a little bit, they'd actually like painted some of the grass green and they imported some English plants and like had it as like potted plants hidden here and there to try to spruce it up. I could still really always tell that it was the landscape that I was growing up in when I went out to parks. Like it looked like Sherwood Forest. That probably also helped me develop <laughs> my, my uh, fondness for the film. What drew you to the character in the first place? Was it watching the film or had you heard of the character before watching the film? I certainly can't in particular recall any associations I had with the character before that. Um, but for me, it was also, it was a little bit before that Kevin Costner film came out. So it would have been in the late 80s watching this movie. Would have watched the Disney one around that same time too. And I remember enjoying it as a kid but I was much more into the Errol Flynn film and and ha I had at least a couple of storybooks but it was a lot the movie and then would run around in the outside and had a Robin Hood costume and I made myself a bow and then the Kevin Costner film came out when I was around 10 or so and I was still still young enough that I I didn't mind playing with with action figures and toys and so suddenly that movie's coming out and people are talking about Robin Hood and Robin Hood action figures exist and I got all of them I got the big Sherwood Forest playset, which was just a reselling the Ewok Village playset, but I had been too young to get that when I earlier in my childhood. You know, I got all the toys, and so suddenly I was there playing with Robin Hood, and you know, I always kind of wished that it was Errol Flynn instead of Kevin Costner, but it was some Robin Hood toy to play with, and, and my dad built me a little castle out of plywood that was the same sort of scale for the figures, and yeah, so just, just kind of really getting into it as a kid through the Errol Flynn movie, but then having the Disney film, the storybooks, and the Kevin Costner film to kind of help reinforce that all. Yeah, you mentioned some of the, the toys there. I remember those, those toys. On your podcast you talk to some games designers as well and who have games around Robin Hood and um, do you have any mm -hmm. recommendations for these kind of board games or any other games that are linked to Robin Hood? Yeah so 2021 kind of caught me by surprise in that there were multiple games being released that related to Robin Hood. There were a couple of video games, Sherwood Builders and Hood Outlaws and Legends. I'm not a big gamer myself. Let me take that back. I, I kind of am a gamer and then I'll play board games and role-playing games, but I'm not much in computer games and video games, so I can't really recommend those myself. But they're still interesting. There's, there's some good storyboarding videos you can see for the Hood Outlaws and Legends online on YouTube and some good concept art. But there's a board game called Rescuing Robin Hood, kind of a 
cooperative card game, which is quite fun, interesting sort of challenge. The designer referred to it as a collaborative game instead of just a cooperative game. And that felt really weird to me at first. Like, oh, why are you just using a different synonym? But when I've actually played the game, I found that is really accurate, that you really are having to not just be on the same side, but you actually have to collaborate. You have to plan how your characters are going to be working together to rescue Robin Hood in order to accomplish your goal. And then we also saw the English release of The Adventures of Robin Hood board game, uh, no relation to the Errol Flynn movie. It was originally released in German and the English version came out and that's another cooperative game. It's got a beautiful board. Michael Menzel did the game design and did all of the art and the game comes in these eight large puzzle pieces that you fit together. And then there's these little little tokens. Uh, looks a little bit like an advent calendar that you can kind of pull these flaps open, but you actually remove them from the board and you can flip them over or you can remove them from the board. And the, the board, which is this beautiful painting of Sherwood Forest and Nottingham and a castle will then change. And like where people are will be in different places. How Sherwood Forest looks, you know, if that your hideout's been established and all, will just sort of change as you're going through the game. And then there's this big book and you're playing through these adventures. And then when you're done, you just kind of take those puzzle pieces and you slide them into an envelope and put it in the box. And then you can just easily set it back up and start the next chapter. And the board has already changed to reflect the place that you are in the adventure. I'm almost through that game. I'm playing it with my my kids and my, my sister and uh, Richard Hopkins Lutz, who's my frequent co-host for the Splitting Arrows episodes. And we're we're enjoying it a whole lot. We're finding it really fun. It's a really great cooperative family game. It sounds like there's a lot of detail in that game and, and bringing it to life there. And on this Splitting Arrows, you've yeah, talked about mo- the movies and you've also covered so many other topics on your podcast as well. So I know you've done ones about like medieval castles and the building and masonry that was in there, the wildlife of Sherwood Forest, different things. Do you have a favorite topic that you've covered so far? Um, that's hard to say. As far as just topics go, I mean, I've really been engaged with all of them. I, I would have a hard time topping the very first episode where I interviewed James Wright, who's a buildings archaeologist and works in Nottingham, because that was so much that real focus that I wanted to do with the podcast, that idea of, oh, let's talk to somebody who actually knows something about the castles and houses and what the forest law of the 1300s and 1200s actually was. And getting him on there, and he's a a wonderful speaker and very knowledgeable, that was so much kind of getting my footing right where I wanted it to be at the beginning. That was exactly the right kind of topic. The one that was perhaps the most fun was when I went hunting with a friend up in Minnesota, just because it was so different. Instead of being on a, a Zoom call and talking to a historian or an author, I was out in the woods, sitting in a blind, whispering so we wouldn't scare the deer that were just a few feet away. Like it just had that wonderful, oh, I'm actually getting to be out in the world and do something different quality to it. And as well as being very informative, you know, I had never been out hunting before. So I really had a chance to to learn a whole lot. And so up that that feel of being in the woods. You've been to Sherwood Forest, haven't you? You've traveled over to, to Nottinghamshire and, and been there, haven't you? Yeah, just, just once. I got to make a basically a weekend trip 
last summer. Visited Nottingham, went on the the town tour with Aid Andrews, who is in the second episode of the podcast. He's been portraying Robin Hood there for over 20 years. Does an absolutely incredible job. We took a, a day to go visit Sherwood Forest, which also just, it felt great. You know, it's not going out into deep woodlands, certainly, but there was a really appreciable quality to still being around those ancient oak trees and thinking about the words of the various ballads and writers like Howard Pyle, who really likes to play up the pastoral beautifulness of the forest. What's next for the podcast then? Have you got any episodes that are coming up that you can tell us about? Yeah, I've got a few. One is a Splitting Arrows episode. That's for 1954's Men of Sherwood Forest, which is a really obscure film. One that I felt certain was going to be a really bad movie to the point that our special guest for that episode is somebody who really specializes in watching bad movies just so I could get them to participate in this. But then the movie disappointed us by being really fun and enjoyable. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to getting that one out. And then I've got a couple of interviews recorded as well. The next one is with Mike Nichols, who joined us on a Splitting Arrows episode and is the author of a radio play called The Gospel of Friar Tuck. I've got an interview with Michael Menzel, the game designer that I mentioned before. Yeah, so they sound like really good episodes coming up as well. It's quite ubiquitous, movable character as well. And, and you mentioned that game was made in Germany and a really popular figure that looks like it's going to endure and going to be more films, more games, more novels, more to come. Yeah, absolutely. I would suggest to all my audience here to have a look at the Into the Greenwood podcast for you know Robin Hood's such a great character and a really prominent one in English folklore, but around, you know, well-known around the Western world as well. So how can people follow the podcast? How can people listen? What's the best way to see what you're up to? The best way is really going to wherever you get your podcasts. We should be there. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio. I think we should be on Google Podcasts. Certainly, if you go to a podcatcher and can't find us, somebody somebody let me know. I'm on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. For all of those, I've got the handle at Into Greenwood. So just one word into Greenwood and any of those major social media platforms can find us there and, and get in touch. And I'll certainly post a link to a new episode whenever it comes up as there as well. At into Greenwood and wherever you get your podcast, go at the into the Greenwood podcast. Well, thanks very much for coming on Thaddeus. And I'm going to again, repeat to listeners. So to go at into Greenwood on social media channels and wherever you look for podcasts, look for into the Greenwood. It's a great podcast that uses Robin Hood as a prism to explore all sorts of other topics linked to history, to nature, to storytelling, games, movies. Fantastic way into it. So really recommend people go and look at that. So thanks very much for coming. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, I had fun. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I wouldn't be happy to talk to people about Robin Hood. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dream Swarm podcast. I've been your host, Andy Mark Simpson. We hope you'll join us for the next one. Remember, you can subscribe to stay in touch with future episodes and follow us at the website www.dreamswarm.org or follow on Twitter and Instagram at Dreamswarm. And we look forward to joining you for more supernatural film stories and art. In the meantime, be creative, be curious, be kind. We'll see you soon.